Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Hey, Educator Barnes here. And today I'm going to talk about teaching with chronic pain. Last week on Twitter, I came across a tweet where an educator had asked uh, to connect with other educators who had either um, taught with chronic pain or debilitating pain. And when I saw it, I was like, well, should I hop onto this thread and respond? And then I decided to. And then I thought about the fact that I really haven't talked about this not in detail in my writing or in a blog or even on this podcast. I thought today would be a good day to talk about that. If you've been following my writing, most people do know about some of the conditions I have, but I have never really gone in depth about how those conditions show up for me as a teacher. So if you don't know about that, let me take you all the way back to the beginning. So... I married my husband a few months after I graduated from college. And during the course of us dating, I had to be like really honest with my husband. I told him like, I said, you know, when that time of the month comes around, I said, it's just horrible. Um, I said, you know, I have horrible cramps. Uh, My cycle is not normal, it's irregular. And actually that is a more common thing with females. If you don't know that, uh, But um, a lot of times people make you feel like you're just the oddball out. But I learned that that's more common than I thought it was. And like sometimes I would be in a situation where like I I would be in a situation where like my cycle would go on for like 14 days, which was like ridiculous and unheard of. And as a kid, one of the solutions that um, a doctor had suggested was putting me on birth control. But my mom and dad... Um, I was raised in a very uh, strict Christian household, and my mom and dad were not <laughs> supportive of that. Um, pretty much, they thought getting on birth control was just a license to have sex. And I'm like, you kind of have to have like someone who wants to have sex with you for that to happen. And that was not the case <laughs> for me as a kid. I was a tomboy, a severe introvert. I wasn't like... Yeah, I was like, parents, like, I just want some relief. But suffice it to say, um, I didn't get that as a solution. So when I was in college, I strongly thought about, like, sneaking and getting onto birth control um, because they said that was something that would help. And I had so much fear that my parents would find out and, like, they would cut me off at school. Uh, really, as an adult now, I don't think that would have happened, but I had so much fear. So when I got married to my husband, that was the very first thing I did. And that actually made everything so much worse. Um, And my husband's like, you know, I think you really should go to the doctor. I think you really should get looked into because, like, the amount of pain that you're experiencing is not normal. So eventually, you know, we get to the point where we want to have kids and it's just not happening. And this is when I start getting, like, diagnosis. And another thing that happened, there was a show that we used to watch called Mystery Diagnosis. And on one of the shows, they talked about um, a condition called endometriosis. 
And my husband's like, well, maybe you have that. I was like, I mean, and granted, some of the things that happened in that episode were things that happened to me. I'm like, I don't know. This is TV. That, that can't be me. But long story short, I did eventually get diagnosed with endometriosis. I actually got diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis. I found out that I had fibro tumors and uh, that one of my fallopian tubes is possibly not functioning correctly. And that was the possibility because doctors couldn't agree on what was going on with my fallopian tube. Um, I had two doctors and they never came to a conclusion. So to this day, I really don't know. Um, and I wasn't willing to undergo any more invasive tests because I had so many invasive procedures done to get to the bottom of this. So let me start with um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is a hormonal condition. Um, it affects your eggs. It can affect them getting to maturity, which can affect them being fertilized and, you know, becoming an embryo and implanting and becoming a kid, right? So one of the things that happened was I was put on metformin. Metformin is typically a drug that people who have diabetes take. And I am a petite person. But what a lot of people don't know is that I, in my closet, my closet is divided into two sizes. Currently, those sizes is size four and size six. Um, as a kid, um, I was like between size zero and size two. So I do appreciate being in a range where it's easier to buy clothes. And what happens sometimes, my hormones, it would get so unbalanced that I would just rapidly put on weight. And so, like, I would get, like, a pudgy stomach. I would be so bloated. And, and this is current, like, current life, like, going back and forth. Um, there are some things I've learned over time with my diet that I can change. But the downside to taking metformin, it just kind of, it can make you feel kind of weird. Uh, if you don't eat, eat when you're supposed to eat, you can start feeling fatigued. You can start feeling tired. Uh, so that's something I constantly deal with. Um, people know um, I always have snacks at work. I have snacks in my work backpack I have snacks in my car um, because I'll get into situations where I will just break out into a cold sweat and normally it's because I've gotten super fatigued and I need to eat so that's one thing I have to deal with um, and I deal with that actually right now um, because I'm still on metformin I did come off of metformin for a little bit of time um, and we try to control it through my diet but I'm not gonna lie I had a really hard time committing to the diet so I eventually got back on the metformin I will say the days, the weeks I was able to commit to the diet, I felt awesome. But like I had to cut out a lot of things, a lot of sugary things. Um, I gave up milk a while ago, whole milk. Yes, I was one of those people that loved whole milk. Um, had it almost every single day. So I, had to, I took that on my uh, diet. So it's just little things like that. But that's not the chronic pain piece. A few years into my career, my chronic pain was getting bad and I hadn't been diagnosed with endometriosis yet. It was to the point my back was on fire. My feet would hurt. And it was just so hard to teach and people would notice. So this older black lady, she was a counselor at my school. And she said, Shantae, are you okay? You just look like you're struggling every single day. I was like, well, you know, on my feet all the time. And, you know, I, I had always had a little quick response. Uh, because I, I'm a very private person and you probably wouldn't guess that was all the rain I do, but I am. Um, so I always have a wall beyond walls, beyond walls, beyond walls. And with those walls, I share limited information. So you may think you know me, but you don't know everything. 
So I'm like, oh, no. And so she pushed back just like an older black woman typically does. She's like, so, Shante, I watched you day after day. This is not normal teacher tired. There's something not right. You should go get this looked into. So with that, with my mom, with my husband, I finally do go in. And I wasn't getting pregnant on top of that, right? So I go in there like, well, you got, it looks like you have polyps, right? And we can go in and remove that. That should help. I wake up from surgery and I knew something wasn't right because my husband was there. The doctor was there. And she said, well, I already talked to Jermaine. That's my husband. I want to talk to you. And they have pictures. And it was actually pictures of the inside of my body. Well, I didn't have polyps. I had fibro tumors um, the size of a golf ball. And they were pressing on the inside of me, which was causing all the pain. Some of it, right? So she's like, yeah, we, uh, they said the, the ultrasound we did, it was only seeing pieces of it. So what we thought were two polyps, which is one part of the fibroid and the other side was another part. We missed like the whole thing. And so I, but I knew like my mother, she had, she had those fibroid tumors. And if you Google online, there's tons of articles about fibroids and black women and things like that. So that made me afraid because like I knew eventually this situation uh, led uh, to my mom getting a, um, um, what is it called? It's not a hysterectomy. It's when you get like the partial, you keep your ovaries. Oh, I can't believe this word escaping me. <laughs> but I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to have children. I want to get in this situation where I'm going to have to give up my fertility. Uh, you know, that's not okay. So I finally went in and you cannot diagnose endometriosis without like, you know, them uh is no test to do it like they have to go in uh and uh, they didn't end up doing a laparoscopy so they went into like a exploratory look and they took all these pictures and you could see the endometriosis endometriosis is when the lining inside of the uterus grows outside and i had it everywhere so and they determined that was a stage four so a lot of this pain i was having this chronic chronic pain was being caused by this endometriosis and let me tell you, it is hell to teach through chronic pain. Um, I had not only did I have food everywhere for the metformin I was taking for the PCOS because I got that diagnosis first. And then I learned about the fibroids. And then I learned that I had an endometriosis. And also during that time is when we came to the crossroad about maybe one of my fallopian tubes wasn't working. I'm like, damn, is there anything about my reproductive system that is working correctly? Like anything? No. <laughs> it seemed. Um. So they clean, cleaned it up, right? Um, I felt better for some time. And essentially what happens, they came back with a vengeance. And that is just hard because I didn't want to talk to people about it. Because even explaining endometriosis, to say that it's like the, the lining from the inside of yours growing outside. Like, it just explain it to people because I've, I've done it. <laughs> people get uncomfortable. They don't want to hear about that. And so I'm like, how can I push through this pain but not share so much about my personal life. So I went a while without saying anything. And it just, days, some days it would be bad. So what I did, I started being strategic. Sometimes staying on my feet all day at work, I just couldn't because I was in so much pain. So I sit in my classroom where I had desks throughout the classroom that were empty. So I could sit from desk to desk and move around the classroom and not have to stand up. So that was one of the things I did to push through the chronic pain. I always made sure I had pills everywhere. 
So in my car, I had to leave. In my purse, I had to leave. In my work backpack, I had to leave. I had about to sit in my bed at home. The other thing I did, I tried to get all my work done at work. So when I got home, I could just rest. So a lot of days before I had my kids, I would come home. I would tell my husband, you won't have to feed yourself. I would get in the bed, pop my pills, and go to sleep. Now, I also had the option of getting on some type of prescription medicine. I just wasn't comfortable taking pain pills to get through. Like, my fear was like, well, I become addicted to these things. And there are, are some people in my family who struggle with alcoholism. And so I thought about that, you know, like, is is that something, is getting on these pills, would that make me become an addict? Like, I thought about these things, so I decided I'm not doing this, which means when you take over-the-counter medicine, there's only so much you can do uh, to alleviate your pain. So I would just pop the pills, put a heat pack on my back, use Icy Hot to deal with some of the muscle spasms I would get from the pain, and just try to try to ride it out, right? Hot water bottle, I mean, you name it, I tried it. And then we really started trying to have kids. So the birth control helped manage some of the pain a little bit, right? But to get pregnant, to do the infertility treatment, I had to come off of a lot of the medicines I was taking to maintain some type of function. So when I eventually got pregnant um, and had my kids, they went in to remove all the endometriosis again, right? And surprise, surprise, it came back with a vengeance. After I had my kids, about two years after, we tried to get pregnant again and again and again. And we had to do infertility treatments. And my sons, who at this time, we were up walking, they're talking. Oh, gosh, they were like, Mommy, you just, oh, you don't play with us anymore. You're just in the bed all the time. Because now I'm trying to get pregnant. Now I'm off the medicine that's alleviating some of the pain. So I am just like a wreck. And all I want to do is just lay down and not be bothered. And that was actually one of the things that stopped me from pursuing any more infertility treatments. So at 33, I went to my doctor and I said, I'm ready. Um, And earlier, before I even had kids, when it was discovered how bad my pain was, it was like, okay, do you want to have kids? Is the thing you want to do? Because you could just have a hysterectomy. I had a different doctor at the time. New doctor, we had talked about this. She said, whenever you th- are done with these treatments, you know, this after I have my kids, I'll be willing to do this. So I, I finally went to her at 33. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I told her what the conversation between my son. I said, I can't do this anymore because infertility treatments are mentally taxing, especially for somebody like me. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a goal setter and I'm a goal achiever. I've believed that anything I want to do, I can do it. But this was the one thing I couldn't do. Like there was no amount. I did everything they told me to do and this kept failing. Every infertility treatment failed except the one that brought me my twin boys. So every treatment before them, every treatment I had after them, they all failed. And to be a person who's used to winning, to used to getting, to, to use to confidence in something and is to have it constantly fail, 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 fail. I just couldn't take it anymore. And then the pain on top of that that I had to endure was just like twice and three times as much because I wasn't on the birth control to help manage it. Uh, I couldn't take certain medicines to manage it. I just couldn't take it. And so she's like, well, Shante, you know, there's there's been some advancements. I don't want to do the hysterectomy. I was just like, oh, excuse me? 
I'm like, well, are you going to do like what my mom had? Like do like a partial? She's like, nope. I want to try this thing called an ablation. So ablation is simply when it's going to pretty much fry your uterus. They kill everything, the lining, everything. And essentially it just, it's going to kill your fertility because it's like, you can't get pregnant because the lining, you don't have it, right? Um, but I'm 36 now. And I will say uh, for three years, I've been chronic pain free. And it's scary. The first year was so weird for my husband and I because it was the first year in our relationship that he didn't have to deal with me and my chronic pain. He didn't have to pick me up from the door and carry me up the stairs and put me into bed. He didn't have to bring me medicine. He didn't have to rub my back. He didn't have to get the heat pad out. He didn't have to find the icy hot. He didn't have to put a, a rag on my forehead because I broke out into a sweat. You know, he didn't have to sit there and pray over me to help, help, hope the pain will go away. Like we just got to be and got to enjoy ourselves. We got to do stuff. We didn't have to be out somewhere and go home because the pain was getting too much. So that first year was just like surreal. Like this is what it is like because I have identified it was at 13 when my chronic pain started. So from 13 to 33, as 20 years, two decades of my life was chronic pain. And so that when I turned 33 and got the ablation and healed from that, and I was just doing things like, I just can't, I can't even explain it to you. And like, one of the things I did was I started traveling, like we started going places because I wouldn't, I mean, traveling was just a nightmare. Like we would try to do something. It's just like, you know, you know, I'm I'm not feeling good. I, I can't do this today. We can't go out today. So that's been great, but we'll have to be honest. You know, now there's two more years that has passed. So I'm at three. And like my biggest fear is that the other shoe's going to drop and it's all going to come back. I fear that so much. Like anytime I have the inkling of pain, I'm like, is it coming back? And I know that may not seem rational, but it's a real fear of mine because it's like this feels so good not to have this pain, um, not to have to navigate. Um, I, I hope it doesn't come back. But my doctor promised that if it comes back, um, she will do the hysterectomy and we may do a partial so I can keep my ovaries because we talked about that. Um, it will put me into menopause. And that was the other reason why she didn't want to do it early. She's like at 33, I didn't want to put you into menopause. I'm like, fine. And she was right. It's been worked for three years. So I appreciate less invasion. So how how did I get through up until 33? Because that means my whole entire teaching career up to 33 was surrounded in chronic pain. So I talked about the death strategically place. I talked about having like my medicine every place. Um, the other thing I, I had to eventually learn to do, I had to confide in people at work. Because one of the things that happened with my chronic pain, the hardest part of my day was getting up. I'm always an early riser. So I, have, I would be awake for hours and I just couldn't get out of the bed. And this is the weirdest thing that people don't understand because I would be late to work sometimes. I would be late, like, I wouldn't be, like, so late that, you know, the students are sitting there waiting for me. I, you know how schools are. You have the teacher time, then you have the student time. I will show closer to the student time than teacher time. And you know how it is. When somebody be rolling in late, people got to say something. So finally, somebody, you know, they're going to call themselves having a crucial conversation with me, trying to say, well, Shante, you know, you should be here on time like everyone else. And I, and I, and I was in pain. My back, my stomach was on fire. And I was just like, I just couldn't get out of the bed. 
And and the person was like, well, Shantae, you need to set a, set, a, set an alarm clock. And I was just like, okay, since, since, since you're going to have a conversation with me, let's go. And this is the first time I actually practiced saying and, and naming my condition out loud. And I was like, I, I did have a alarm clock up. I, I've been awake since five. And they're like, you've been awake since five. What do you mean you can't get out of the bed? And I said, I have endometriosis, um, stage four, and it's extremely painful. And every single day, it's hard for me to get up and get out of bed. So I wake up super early. And I spend all that time trying to will myself out of bed. Even when I get up, it's hard to move. I'm in so much pain. I have to get up. I have to shower. I have to eat food so I can take the medicine. Because if I don't eat food, I'm going to be nauseous. And then I have to uncomfortably drive to work. And that was the other thing. I ended up getting um, a heat pad um, that you could plug in um to my car so it would be more comfortable for me to drive so i said i'm not late because i didn't set the alarm i'm not late because i'm just rolling in and being not responsible i'm late because i'm fighting through tremendous pain to get here so i would appreciate it (laughs) if you would not confront me about these things i'm doing the best i can i promise you and I said, if I didn't care, I just wouldn't show up at all. If I didn't care, I would take off for work all the time. Every single time it was so bad, but I, I don't do that. And the person was just floored. And the person said to me, I just wish you would have said something. And I said, that's the thing. I said, I don't want people's pity. I don't want them feeling sorry for me. I just want to come here and teach. But I said, some days it's really hard. But with that, the person had a point. Like, So I did tell a few other people. And it changed people's perspective of me. So if I was running late, even though I would get there before the students, people were like, oh. And and then the days, because I did have one day. There was one day I was like late and I was not going to make it to my first class on time. I said, guys, I just I don't know if I'm going to come in today. I'm going to come. And so um, because my teacher friends knew they covered my class. Principal never knew I wasn't even there for part of my first class. And I got to work and I took the. I taught the rest of the day because I just really didn't want to take off. Moving forward, as I was like getting the endometriosis treated, um, and would get better, and then sometimes it wasn't get better. I got to a point where I started taking care of myself and taking off for work. And I was really strategic about it because if you have a chronic medical condition, you know this, right? And you got to be responsible about it, or people are going to be salty with you. So I made emergency plans because this isn't my health is an emergency because what some people didn't know is like some nights I would be in the emergency room when my pain got so bad and the over the counter medicine wasn't working. My husband would drive me to the emergency room so they could give me medicine. And a side note here, because of like the heroin epidemic and some of these other epidemics where people are abusing medicine. It made it harder for people like me who had real conditions to get medicine. So over time, I would get all these questions like, you know, why are you here? What? And and my husband, he would get so frustrated because he's like, she's not a druggie. She's not an addict. She just she is not functioning and she wants to go to work tomorrow. So like one day, my husband took me to the emergency room. Um, It was real late. We probably got there around eight. I didn't get seen or treated until about 12. They wanted me to stay for a few hours. I got home at 2 and I got up and went to work that same day because that's just who I was. But 
it wasn't healthy. I should have probably stayed home that day. I mean, I was literally in the emergency room, but I still went to work because I felt like I just felt like the kids needed me. And so I started learning, like, Shantae, that's not healthy. If you go to the emergency room, keep your behind at home the next day. And so I started doing that. And even my parents don't even know how many times I I had uh, uh, been um, because of that. And I mean, and going to the emergency, so then you get good about what clinics you go to that will be cheaper for your insurance. You know, so we started looking at stuff like that because, you know, my husband, like, he's like, I, I can't stand to see you in pain like that. I will pay anything for you to get that medicine. And even then, I still refuse to get on any type of prescription thing, even though I had to go to the emergency. Because essentially what they would do, um, they would check me out. I was clearly having a flare up. At this point in time, I had a history of it. And like I had a confirmed condition. But even with that, they still have the question, are you getting addicted to coming in here? I'm like, I'm not in here like that. You know what I'm saying? I would probably go to the emergency room a few times a year. Okay, so it wasn't like a therapy single month every week, right? But I just felt that relief. The other, so besides taking off of work, the other thing is like being willing to stick with acknowledging or accepting that you're going to have to be actively looking for treatments for your condition. Endometriosis is not curable. Now, typically, um, if people get it removed and they get everything, the key, you got to get everything. Uh, 90% of people don't have any problems. I was one in the 10% where every time I had to remove it, it came back, right? Polycystic ovarian syndrome caused me all types of issues, interfered with my fertility. And so I constantly have to reevaluate. Like, for example, I'm probably on my fifth or sixth birth control pill. Because over time, what will start happening is um, it will start working. And currently, I take birth control continuously. So I take a pill every single day. That there's, there's actually being used for the hormonal supplement to help me balance out my hormones. So that's why I actually take it every single day. So I'm one of those wonderful people that don't mis- uh, do not menstruate anymore. And the ablation, if you get an ablation, a lot of women who get an ablation, that stops their menstruating. So the positive for me actually sticking with it and treating my endometriosis i got a positive like not having a menstrual cycle like being a female and i even had to deal with that i haven't dealt with that for three years so that's been freaking awesome (laughs) and it's been freaking awesome for my husband because he's like there's no reason we can't get it on today (laughs) yes (laughs) man i love my husband i do (laughs) what that's what he said and my husband is if you ever meet him my husband is incredibly honest that's just who he is um he just says what's ever on his mind and that's one of the things i just love and find sexy about him is that that's who he is he never lies to me he never tells me what he thinks i want to hear he's just super honest like that but um i appreciate that but you have to actively seek things so like one of the things i did for more time like i'm sick of how metformin makes me feel like it makes you feel fatigued um, i almost fainted in class one day and the other thing so i'm about to say two points here not only do you have to trust and tell colleagues they have somebody to trust in you gotta be honest with your students if your students are old enough so I, for most of my career i've taught um middle school and high school so my middle school kids knew i was on uh, metformin they didn't know why i didn't reveal it I said it's treating a condition, but I said sometimes it may make Mrs. Barnes a little shaky 
or look a little weak or fatigued if mrs barnes starts looking really bad and look like she's gonna faint this is what you do so i had like a little folder on my desk that had the instructions because you know you tell kids stuff and they forget i said if you forget what i'm telling you here you get the folder um one year i had a class um, with 12 students yeah dream what <laughs> 10 of the students were boys <laughs> two girls and i was sitting at my desk and i have one kid his desk was touching my desk and they were taking a quiz and i just was not feeling good at all with the sit and the dude uh, the student turned and looked at me and he said mrs barnes you're not looking so good i said take your do your test don't i said i said every time i turn around you looking over here at mrs barnes see what she's doing you need to be taking your test and he said mrs barnes you do not look good the next thing i know i turn i went to stand up because i'm gonna use closer proximity <laughs> even though it does turn, i'm gonna get up and point to the number because he really wasn't filling his test it was really getting on my nerves i'm like that's why you were sitting by my desk so i can make sure you're doing your test and when i went to get up i got so dizzy and i turned around and there was a trash can i just started vomiting into the trash can and i just um i just remembered like almost blacking out one of the boys he's like this is it this is what mrs barber is talking about oh crap what do we do get the folder so they actually followed the plan because it was to call one of my colleagues who knew what was going on with me they followed the plan and i actually um I, then it got to my principal my principal was not in the plan but my colleague freaked out i said girl i didn't tell you to tell the principal that was not part of the plan she said shate you almost fair like i'm telling somebody so the principal was like shate you have to go home um so I was able to get home uh, safely, and I um, stayed in bed, and I actually took off the next day. But if your students are old enough where they can do something as simple as call a colleague or take the pass, because in the photo I had a pass to go to a teacher's room, do that. Because also, if you have a chronic condition, your safety is important. It's a health condition. And so it's okay to let students know. Um, and students, and, and we came back, I debriefed with the students. And they're like, well, are you okay? And I said, I said, I appreciate you guys. Like we had like a real moment there. And I said, because you took care of Mrs. Barnes, you made sure I was okay. Um, so we had a little moment. I said, so now since I was gone for a day, I'm, I know I'm about to reteach. I know y'all probably didn't do nothing I left. <laughs> and we, and we moved, uh, we moved forward. Um, but also, so back to the metformin, the second part about the metformin. I decided to come off of it because I was tired of how it was making me feel. Case in point, the story I just told you. So I came off of it and I tried so hard to treat it with the diet. And what I'm saying this is that there's no perfect plan, especially if you have a chronic, chronic condition. But you may just get tired of the plan or need a different type of plan. So don't be, don't give up on yourself. Don't be like, oh, woe is me. This is my condition. Nothing will ever change. It's worth and like I told my husband, I said, at some point in time, I think I may try to go back on the diet because like the endometriosis has been okay because of the ablation, but the PCOS, because I have to stay on the metformin to help with that, um, it's hard because the metformin helps regulate my hormones. It helps my weight not to have huge swings. I still have swings. Last school year, for example, I was on the small end of my weight. So I was around the size four most of last school year. This school year, being a school administrator, I'm back up to a size six, and I've been riding there pretty heavily. Um, so, um, and that's how my weight swings yeah, back and forth, hardcore like that. And I'm okay. I love myself when I'm a four. I love myself when I'm a six. So, um, in summary, if you have a chronic condition, you're going to still be a teacher. 
you have to figure out what supports you need to put in place for you to make it. So for me, I had desks strategically placed around the room so I could sit down when I was in chronic pain. The other thing I did is I actually went to several doctors to get on a treatment plan and figure out how I can deal with this. Yes, there's no cure, but I could take action to help alleviate some of my situations. Tell colleagues, tell students if they're old enough, confide in someone so people don't think you're lazy or half, uh, doing your job. They know, oh, this is what's going on. And if you get in some real trouble, they can come and actually support you. And then last, don't be hopeless. Don't just stick with one plan, one treatment plan. Try to see if there's something else that you you can do. And believe, I've, I was going to close this off, believe that you can do this job and have chronic pain. Like sometimes people feel like they have to throw in the towel and they can't be successful. And most people don't know my career. I've taught through pain through the majority of my career. And yes, it was hell. And yes, uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I did it. I did that thing. <laughs> I rocked it. And if if the chronic pain comes back and I have to do that again, I know exactly what I have to do. I still have my medical contribution, uh, my medical condition of PCOS that I'm currently managing, but I, I'm managing it. I, I'm making it. I'm making it happen, and I'm taking it. And it's as uh, cliche. Gosh, trying to take it the word out. As cliche as it sounds, I'm taking it one day at a time. And, um, and if I would give a special shout out, it would be to my husband. Could that do to my ride or die? He has supported me through all of this. And there ain't nothing like somebody who will love you through the good, the bad, the ugly, and through the pain. So if you're an educator out here listening, or maybe you're not an educator, you're just a person out there that has chronic pain. I hope this uh, was helpful. Till next week.